Well, once again, like uh, Brother Ken had said, I want to welcome everyone that's here today. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we're going to continue on through the book of Galatians, chapter 3 is where we're at today. Galatians chapter 3, if you remember, we uh, introduced to you Paul, Paul the man, we introduced to you Galatians uh, and Galatia, the churches that were in that area. Galatia was a, a region, an area, not necessarily a, a city. Introduced to you the, uh, the false gospel that was being preached, and, um, and what Paul was so adamant about, especially about the gospel, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so, here basically is the whole crux of what Paul has been saying in chapter 3. From chapter 3 to chapter 4, we, we introduced it a little bit last week, and that's uh, justif- justification by faith. Justification by faith, and, and uh, we're going to get into that, and we're going to be explaining it here for the next few weeks, because Paul really does an in-depth study on this for us, and, and gives us the information that we need in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4. And, and it's interesting, because one of the questions that comes up many times when you talk to people about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's only Jesus Christ that you can be saved, one of the things that comes up is, well, what about the people before Jesus? What about the people in the Old Testament? What about the people that have never heard? What about the people that... And so this is going to answer some of your questions, I hope, and we're going to expound on that a little bit more. But uh, first and foremost, uh, we, need to, we need to find out, here, here's what Paul's talking about, here's who he's talking to, and here's basically what he's saying in, in a tone of, I, I don't know, a tone of anger and love at the same time. Have you ever had that emotion, you know, when you're talking to your kids? Uh, wives, when you're talking to your husbands, uh, <laughs> when when you're talking to somebody that you truly love, you know, and you, how, how could you be so careless? How how could you do that? There's a there's a sense, and you can almost sense that through what Paul is trying to get across to the people in Galatia. And uh, as as you know, we've been studying that he says to them, "How did how did you lose the gospel? That you know, or go to another?" Gospel. He, he was astonished in verse 6 of chapter 1 that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this gospel that Paul is just so enormed with, it's, it's by grace. And Paul, the legalist, he knows the difference. He knows the difference between legalism and he knows the difference between grace. Paul was a legalist. We understand that. We, we heard a lot about what he did and who he was and the, the training that he received and everything that he heard until he encountered Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, he realized he was wrong. He was wrong about the people that he was persecuting. He was wrong about the group that gathered around this man. He was wrong about the Jesus that they had crucified. He was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. And what he did, he made an about face, a genuine repentance. Coming to this understanding, his emotions, his thought process, everything that he was and everything that he ever did, he turned around and started, started preaching the Christ that he was persecuting. And so here, Paul gives us a little more, more of an insight as to how all of this was taking place, how, how it happened. Legalism set back into the church. It started to enslave them, going back to the traditions. And we're going to look back, hopefully we'll be able to get that uh, this week, but we're going to look back at uh, a little bit of scripture as far as what Paul is talking about, how Abraham himself was justified by faith. But I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 5, Galatians chapter 3. Pull out your outlines and you can follow along with us. By the way, I, I don't know if you noticed uh, this morning, 
the bulletin is your best friend, especially when our technology goes down, okay? So keep it close at hand. Uh, those of you, are, I guess, you, I, I, I was wondering when the words were going to come back up, and I turned around, I saw somebody had a bulletin in their hand. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can use it as well. But um, let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and it reads like this. O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Father in heaven, thank you once again for getting us to this portion of Scripture where we can understand and see what justification is, how it works in your life, how to, how to live a justified life, and how it works in our life. So, Father, as you walk us through this portion of Scripture, help us to all learn together what it is to live by faith. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the worst things that anybody can do is to defect or to be uh, just desert and be so com uh, contemptible and be contempt to the one that you actually believed in or at least were brought up in. Uh, people that defect their nations, their sports teams, or even their marriages. And throughout history, the church uh, has, has had this effect or has had this infection, I guess you would say, of deserting Christians. People come to know who Jesus Christ is by faith alone, and then something happens where they are pushed or they are convinced, or they are, as Paul would say, bewitched. Not necessarily under a spell, uh, we'll see this here in just a bit, but bewitched in such a way in thinking that, oh, maybe I need to add more to my faith. Maybe there needs to be something else that needs to be added to my belief, to the, to the church. Maybe I'm not doing enough. And this is what the people in Galatia were coming up against because, see, Satan never ceases his effort to destroy God's work. And everything that God has done by the way of salvation has been already placed, the plan has already been placed into effect from the beginning of the world. And God's way has always been by grace, has always been by grace working through man's faith. And it's grace and man's faith that combine together to bring the salvation that every individual has to come to at one point in their life. Either you accept it and you believe it by faith, or you accept it and you believe it by works. What is it that you're going to be doing? How is it this going to uh, play out in your own life? From time to time, we are, we are trying to work out our salvation. We're trying to work out what salvation is in our life. And from the very beginning, people have always tried to work for their salvation, not work out their salvation. See, working for your salvation is by works, things that you do to make you right with God. Many people believe, if I just add some good works, I'm not a bad person. 
you know, I, I work hard, I take care of my family, I even go to church. I'm really not a bad person. I read my Bible, I give, I'll, I'll even do a Bible study from time to time, you know. I'm not a bad person. So many people are basing their salvation on what they do. And they figure that by the time that I get to heaven, hopefully I have amounted enough good works that God would say, well, come on in, you've done good. You haven't been that bad. I'm not a murderer, I'm not all these other things that a lot of people are. But from the beginning, it's always been by faith, as we'll see with Abraham. But Satan always tries to cause it to be by works. That's what the law was trying to do. That's what the law was, was helping us to see, that we cannot work hard enough for the salvation. And, and so the, the, uh, the Galatians, as they are living out their faith, they've received the life that Christ can only give them through grace. And then these people come in and say, well, you know, that's great that you guys have received Jesus Christ because we've received Jesus Christ as well. But you see, we're Jewish people. And so therefore, you have to be Jewish as well. There are some ceremonies that you'll have to uh, abide by. There is these, well, the circumcision, first and foremost, and there's the, the laws and all these other things that have to take place in order for you to be saved. And so they were adding more to these Gentiles than was actually ever prescribed by God. And so what Paul is trying to get across here, you experience something. Something happened in you. Something took place in your life. And you sensed it. And you felt it. Not that feeling has anything to do with your salvation, but feeling in your emotions is what God uses to get you to that point of conversion. That, that emotion that sometimes, you know, I, I have offended a holy God. I come to realize now that my sin, that, that I, you know, even if it was just a lie, even if it was just stealing a pencil or something from work, I offended a holy God. And, and now I realize and I recognize that this offense, it needs to be punished. And I, I can't stand in front of God and, and expect him to forgive me because he's a just God. And because he's just, he must punish. He has to. Like the illustration that I used about a, a just judge. If a person were to come to the judge and say, Your Honor, I'm sorry for the crime that I committed. I'm sorry for the murder of that individual. I really am. I promise I will never do it again. And as the audience is sitting in, in, in the chairs and in the pews and they're looking at the judge and just waiting for his, for his justice to be administered, the judge would say something to the effect, well, you know, you've been good most of your life, except for this one offense. And, and if you're really, truly sorry, then I'm just going to let it go. And that's not justice. And this is what we all stand before God with. This is why Paul is saying, you don't have to stand in that fear anymore because you have been justified. You don't have to work anymore. It's all been taken care of at the cross. And everyone that has been justified can live at ease. As Ryan was saying a little bit ago, we live in a world that is very hurried. We live in a world that is very worried. We live, I mean, we should. there's a lot of things you should be worried about. A lot of this COVID, uh, the government, uh, well, you name it. I'm not trying to get political, but all the things that are just out there. For, for an individual that is not justified by Christ and, and knowing it and understanding it and holding on to it, yes, they should be worried. 
But as you, beloved, those of you that have been justified, those of you that understand that there was nothing that I can do for that salvation that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, he paid it all. And my sin was red and my sin was so dark and black and ugly. And now it is white as snow because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So the very first thing that we need to do in our experience and this experience that I'm talking about is not necessarily an emotional experience, a feeling of this, this highness. But, you know, when you get in, not highness, but high in the nest part, you know, being high, I, I've heard people say that, you know, Man, I, I just feel so good. Well, yeah. Because your sin has just been washed away. And that sense of being cleansed does give you this, wow, this freedom. This I, now I've heard it explained like this before. It's like the, there was this weight on my shoulders that was just taken off. But we cannot live on emotion alone. It's by what Jesus Christ did. You have to know this. Because otherwise, like the Galatians, you will be led astray. So the first thing that we need to do is I need to examine my experience with Jesus Christ. A justified life examines their experience. This is number one in your outlines, your experience with Jesus Christ. What took place in your life? What happened? How is it that you came forward and you recognize I'm a sinful person? And, and you know, there's, 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 there comes a time in everyone's life, whether you were brought up in the church, whether you were like me, just a, a vile, wicked sinner, which we all are, by the way. And, and, I, you know, and I knew it. And I knew that there was something of justice coming my way. I knew God's vengeance was upon my life. And I knew that the moment I died, I was going straight to hell. I just knew it. That was just a, an obvious thing in my life, if you knew anything about me before. But what took place? What is, your, what is that experience that you went through? See, Paul starts off by saying, oh, you foolish Galatians. And, and foolish here doesn't mean like uh, being stupid or mentally deficient. It's more of being spiritually deficient, careless, careless. Oh, how are you careless Galatians? Kind of like what we would tell our children. How can you be so careless? Well, why would you do that? How can you even think that that was going to be acceptable? I, I mean, I raised five kids, so I'm, I'm pretty good at that. If I, if I haven't convinced you yet, I've used that quite a bit. And, and he, it was just that's the love that he had for his children, for this church. For those that he called his beloved. And it wasn't this mental deficiency, as I was saying. They weren't stupid because they understood. They started, and Paul made sure that he, he trained them and taught them in, in a very systematic way and gave them, the, uh, gave them the, 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 the word of God from the Old Testament, what Jesus Christ did, the gospel. And I'm sure that as he was preaching and teaching them, look, you guys were there almost in a sense where I, I explained it to you and I, I, I can see the pain and the agony in your eyes as you saw Christ just being unfolded before you crucified. Probably something like the first experience that you had when you saw the passion of the Christ. I mean, that still rips my heart. Yeah, I, I see that picture and I... <laughs> You know, I, and, and I, I get the full effect of what it means that Jesus paid it all. And Paul, Paul is saying, how can you be so mentally lazy? And this is kind of where he was at. He, he was there himself. He says in Titus chapter three, uh, in your outline, for we ourselves were once foolish, careless, mentally lazy, disobedient. We were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hatred by others and hating one another. We did. I mean, that's the kind of life we led. 
We were led astray. We were told what to believe. And because we were told what to believe and how to apply it, that's the kind of life that we led. As a matter of fact, Jesus even reprimands his disciples, the two on the way to Emmaus. And he says to them, he says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And one by one, Jesus goes back to the law. He goes back to the prophets. He goes back to the writings. And he explains all the things that the Christ must endure. And it was the word, not the emotion. These guys were on an emotional downer. They were so down, they needed something to lift them up. It's kind of like some people, they come to church and they, I need to get a lift up. I need to get encouraged. I need to be pumped up. Come on, pastor. Give me a good word. Come on, Ryan. Sing a song that'll make me feel good. So when I leave here, I can feel great. And if that's exactly what Jesus Christ intended to do, he would have just showed up and says, hey, guys, look at me. I'm alive. And that would have been it. But that wasn't it. What Jesus did, he says, let's have a Bible study. Come on, let's talk about the word. Let's, let me show you what the word of God says. Yeah, but I don't feel like, I don't care what you feel like. I want you to know. Not what you feel like right now. I want you to know what Jesus Christ did on the, or the Messiah did on the cross. And it wasn't until much later that their hearts were burning. And, and it, was, it was just an emo, a spiritual heartburn, I guess you would say. And, and they come to recognize this is Jesus. And when they recognized him, that's when he disappeared from their, from their hands, from their face. The disciples' basic problem was not that they were spiritually or dumb or stupid. But a lot of times we get so caught up and worried in the things of this world. We, we lose sight. The Galatians, they weren't dumb. They just got spiritually lazy didn't get into the word, didn't uh, dive in and start to recognize what, what Jesus Christ had done and how he paid it all for them. The Christian life is neither lived on the basics of good feelings it, it, or explanations, but on the basis of God's truth in Christ. Christians who rely on self-orientated messages or emotions instead of the scripture, well, we're doomed. Because our emotions drive us all kinds of different ways. One day I'm emotionally high, the next day I'm emotionally low. And granted, you know, I, I pray that the message encourages you, not discourages you. I, I pray that you get a lifting up from God's word. But, but that's not my goal, is to make you feel good. My goal is to help you to see the word of God and how it can apply to your life, not only right now, but throughout your life and throughout the week. And, and that's one of the reasons that God gave us in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And part of this verse is in your outline. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, Paul says, and, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's what's in your outline. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. It's out there, beloved. It's out there. And they tend to pull us aside, pull us apart, and, and drag us in all kinds of different ways. But what does the Word say? 
What does the word say? It's, it's not practical. It's not biblically, uh, it's, it's not spiritually practical. Let me put it that way. To gauge your life on what you feel. It really isn't. It, it cannot keep going by what you feel. Because you know what, beloved? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the world, if you look at what's going on, you're not going to feel good about it. You're just not. And we're going to think that, that all this praying and all this wishing and all this gathering together and, and, and repenting and, and, and you know, getting everybody together, that God is going to change everything. We don't win on this planet. As a matter of fact, we lose here. It's not a noble ending for us. We, we, end up, we win in heaven. That's, that's our goal. That's our glory. Right here on this planet, we, just, we are passing through doesn't matter how much I amass or how much wealth or treasures or whatever I may have. None of it is going to matter. None of it. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be, as one translation puts it, do not be pressured or do not be crushed or pushed into everything else or everyone else do not be like the rest of the world but be transformed how by how you feel no by what you experience no but by the renewing come on you know this by the renewing of what your mind exactly by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Because if I go by my emotions, if I go by what I think, if I go by what I feel, you know, uh, I don't, we don't have names for these Judaizers, as I explained, these people that were coming in from uh, these Jews that wanted everybody else to be Jews. You know, I, I believe what you're saying, Mr. Judaizer. It, it sounds right. I mean, you even showed us in the Old Testament that God told Moses to get circumcised. And, and we even see the law and the things that we should be practicing. It, it's, it's all there. I have this knowledge. I have this understanding. I have this understanding of who God is. I have this, this knowledge, this understanding of the end times that Paul has talked to us about. I have this knowledge and this understanding of, of who Jesus Christ is. They had a, a good theology, a good Christology, had a very good eschatology of the things that were to come. They understood that. But somehow, they were just twisted. And by the way, if you have a good theology, and if you got good Christology, if you have a good eschatology, and you have none of that put into practice, all that qualifies you to be is a, a demon. I call that demon faith. You remember the demon that Jesus Christ encountered, or the man that was filled with demons? Two different encounters, two different books. One of them was two. Another one, and they, they had this demon called the Legion. Legion was, was they, he recognized Jesus from afar, and he fell at his feet. He knew how to worship. He knew Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He knew that, that Jesus was going to come and torment them before at the appointed time. He knew about the appointed time. He knew their power, God's power. He knew Jesus Christ's power that he can take them out of that man and throw them into the herd of pigs. 
And there are a lot of people that have the same knowledge, the same understanding, the same theology, the same doctrine, that have this type of understanding of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what's going to happen at the end, God's power, but they have not surrendered to his lordship. Because we know that in spite of all that the demons might have known, we're not going to see them in heaven. Beloved, there are a lot of people walking around that have demon faith. Got to put it into practice. Got to understand how to live this life out. How to live what Jesus Christ died for. Godly faith and obedience are essential. They're essential. And it's established by the mind and not by emotions. Being told that one can please God by certain behaviors is is very appealing to my ego. You know, if I can do X amount of things, I've got these 10 things on my list. I accomplish them. (laughs) I'm there. And, and how about you? Well, I only got nine. Well, I got one more than you. It's very appealing to our ego. And, and we want to uh, lift that up and, and, and point out those that have actually accomplished quite a bit. Which, by the way, always looking, always looking for a way to lift us up. What Jesus Christ said was, was what? If that's your reward, that's all you get. You have received your reward if that's all you're looking for. The faithful, effective Christian life, however, is simply not an emotional high or an adventure, but it's filled with these wonderful experiences. And you do. You get these wonderful experiences, not because you're looking for them. It's a byproduct. You can't get holiness as a byproduct from feeling good. But you can get the emotional, the high that, you, that, you, that everybody is looking for by searching holiness. People tell me all the time, but doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't he he want me to be happy? And so therefore, this wife of mine doesn't make me happy. And therefore, God wants me to pursue another happiness. Is the rationale that people use. I go, no, beloved, I'm sorry. God is not really interested in your happiness. He is more concerned about your holiness. When you pursue holiness, guess what? The byproduct of that is happiness. You get happiness out of pursuing holiness. You know, and part of our constitution has something to do with that, you know, with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, well, it's a God-given right. It's an unalienable right. I'm supposed to be pursuing happiness, aren't I? No. Holiness, beloved. Holiness. The Galatians were bewitched. They were not under a spell, as I was saying. It's, it's from a word, a Greek word, baskanyo. And baskanyo, uh, it, it means of a charm or a fascinating and a misleading way. It was kind of like flattery or false promises. You know, it's like, a, it's like what the, the cults give a lot of their members on how to, you know, better yourself. We can help you. You're such a good person. You're such a great guy. You ever hear that? You know, they're basically good people. They just make bad choices. You're a very good person. And you can, you can really make a, a, an impact into this group. Well, I, I can tell you right away that none of you are good. I'm not even good, okay? That's what the Bible says. None of us are good. None of us are righteous. None of us seek after God. The Bible says, no, you're not good. And they were bewitched. You know, you're almost there. You know, you guys are doing great. And all you have to do is just add this to your salvation and it would be okay. And it doesn't convey this bewitchedness of sorcery, but this bewitchedness of being confused or, or led astray, as Paul was saying to us earlier. The Galatians that experienced the salvation 
that, that should have prevented them from falling to the, through this, uh, this falsehood. And, and so one of the things that we started to do was to look at, okay, how is it that we can really just implant this into people's lives? And, and, and when I started to look at that, this has been years now that, that I've been in the, in the making of this, I, I realized that first of all, was the book that Martin Luther really got into, and he's the one that started this Reformation. Not that he wanted to start a whole new denomination of churches, but the Reformation, they wanted to reform the church. And justification by faith is the keystone, is, is the one thing that holds everything together. If you take away that justification by faith, everything falls apart. And so this is where Martin Luther says, look, Church, we have to get back to the way that the apostles taught this. And the church, of course, says, well, if we do that, we're going to lose a lot of members. You know, we, we have them scared right now. I remember as I was talking to this person from another church. He's telling me, you can lose your salvation. I says, no, you can't. He says, well, I, I understand that. I, I, I really believe that, that you really cannot lose your salvation. But... He says, if I tell people they cannot lose your salvation, then they're going to go off and do whatever they want. See, this is a way of helping them uh, to, to hold on to their faith. I said, beloved, if, if that's what you're using, then they're not really even saved to begin with. It's genuine, repented, broken individuals, redeemed individuals would recognize their ugliness, and they would not want to go back to that again. And salvation should have been firm in these Galatians' life. But Paul says, somebody bewitched you guys. Uh, you know, you guys, you guys saw publicly. Well, maybe you didn't see it publicly, but you, you heard the message. You watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Didn't you see that? You, you said, well, okay, they didn't see it. But, uh, you know, and I can just imagine Paul just meticulously just, you know, they can probably just hear every nail that goes into the crossbeam through the palm and the feet of Jesus' feet and hands. I, I'm sure that as Paul is sharing what, what he did, what they did, what we all did to the Christ, he says to them, you know, he was before your eyes. Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. We are a people of the crucifixion. We're twice crucified. We have crucified ourselves to Christ, and I no longer live, but it's he who lives in me. And now I need to take up my cross daily and crucify myself daily to follow him. It's not just a once and done. I'm not just done and I'm ready to go, okay, I, I, I did it. I, I committed my life to Christ. I even came forward. I cried. I prayed. I, I even confessed the bad things that I did in public. I remember one time I went to a church. They made me do that, and I did. I felt so dumb afterward. I, I never went back, but I go, yeah, I don't think I can do this because I'm going to go back out there and do it again. And I'm going to have to come back. Nah, I don't think I don't want to be that kind of a hypocrite. Publicly portrayed. Jesus Christ was, was laid out on display. And Paul laid it all out there. Look, this is what happened to him. And, and as I've mentioned before, the crucifixion, we don't get the idea of crucifixion from the Bible. I mean, all we know is that uh, they put him up on a cross. They nailed him to, to the cross, hands and feet. We, we get that. But for the, the biblical reader or the person that was hearing the story at that time, there was no Bible. Uh, it was all oral tradition. When the one that was proclaiming the gospel and they said that Jesus Christ was crucified, they knew already, whoa, uh, okay, we've seen this happen over and over and over again. Romans were crucifying all kinds of people. Anybody that 
anybody that went up against Rome, anybody that was doing their own thing against Rome, they would crucify. In one day, they crucified over uh, 2,000 people. And, and, and they would crucify people after people. Anybody, and so it was, it was, they knew what it was. It was kind of like saying, well, they executed him on the electric chair. And the moment I say that, you can probably imagine in your mind, you know, the strapping, the, you know, everything else that they do to the individual. You've seen movies. And uh, there is no explanation of it, really, in the, in the New Testament. But we know of it because of outside sources, because of what the sources have told us in the past and just some of the movies that you've seen. But Jesus Christ was crucified. The cross is the continuing and eternal payment for all sin. It's not just a once and done thing. Sorry, I keep pointing over there. I used to have the cross over here for those of you here for the first time. It's not just a once and done thing. It's, it's continuously going. Jesus Christ did it. He does it and he continues to do it. It keeps going. And every sinner who puts his trust in the cross, not the wooden cross, not the one on your neck, but what it symbolizes. And as we share the communion today, the Lord's table, this is the indication of what this is. When we share the Lord's table, what we do is it forces us to look back at what Jesus Christ did. It forces us to look at the cross, the cruel cross. And it also forces us to look ahead at the time that we're able to share this with Jesus. And so all of this that we do, that we look at, at the cross and the crucifixion, I remember one time somebody says, man, you're, you're so fascinated with the cross. You're so fascinated with death. I go, yes, <laughs> that's the picture of who we are. We are dead people walking. We are alive in Christ because of what he's done for us. So we don't have to stay saved by works, and, and we don't have to go back to the principles of the Jewish law. When we do Seder on the 28th of March, Seder is the Passover meal, and I want to invite you to invite others. Okay, and, and I want you to know that, yes, there's not that many people here, but in the past when we had Seder, we didn't have it last year because of the COVID had just started. And, and, uh, but anyways, we had somewhat of an abbreviated Seder. And, and when we did Seder, other people were looking online, and I led them on how to do Seder at their homes. But when we do Seder this year, that's going to be limited to the, just the place out here. So I'm going to ask you to, to sign up early, get yourself a table. If you're going to have six people, let us know. If you're going to have only four people, let us know. Uh, Terry, if you're going to have 120 people here, let us know. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to have a lot of people, let us know. But, but Seder is, is a, a Jewish, uh, it's called order. It means order, Seder does. And it's the order in which we eat the meal and the, the stories that we tell behind it. It's, it's the Passover meal. And as I was explaining to Ryan, is, is that we're not going to have any music that Sunday. Everything's going to be outside. And we're going to tr do everything outside as Jesus did with his disciples. Every table has a table leader. And the table leader is going to follow the instructions that I'll be given. And you'll have instruction booklets as well. And we'll go through the, what the bitter herbs are, what the matzah means, what the, uh, what, what the bone shank means, what the boiled egg means, the roasted egg. And we'll go through all of that as the Jewish people had done. And, and, and we'll, we'll stop right somewhere within the meal, uh, within the whole thing, and we'll have a meal. We'll stop and we'll have lunch or brunch, whatever you want to call it. We'll have food. We'll sit down and we'll eat. And that's what the Passover is. It's, it's like a Thanksgiving feast. And we'll sit down and we eat. And then after that, we'll take bread. And this is very, very important. I'm not going to tell you where it comes from, but it's in this bag that has three layers. And they hide it. And they bring it back out. And it's bread. The bread of affliction that Jesus Christ shared with his disciples. It was the third cup. The third cup. There's four cups of wine. Uh, 
We're not going to have wine here, by the way. No, we're not going to have wine here. It was the third cup, the third cup that, of redemption that Jesus shared with his disciples. Now, I want you to know something, beloved. For those of you that have already experienced this, every time that we take the Lord's Supper from that point forward, it just has a deeper meaning for us. It wasn't just a cracker and some juice that Jesus shared with his beloved disciples. It wasn't, it wasn't just some bread and, and some wine. He says, oh, by the way, here, this is my body. It was choreographed. And the Jewish people still don't understand what it means. But when you see it all laid out, even the, uh, even the sacrifice of the lamb, how they bring this lamb in, and this lamb is brought into their home, and, and, it's, and it becomes a friend and a pet, and they take it and they crucify it, and they sacrifice it. And it brings pain to the children and even to the parents to see their kids go through. But the lamb, you killed the lamb. You know, it's, that's what, what has to happen. They would, they would take this lamb. The priest had their lamb, which they called the, uh, the crown sacrifice. And, and they would impale it with pomegranate posts upways and lengthways. They would tie its legs this way. And they would put a crown on top of this lamb that they would sacrifice for the priest. They have no idea as to why they do this. But they called it the sacrificial lamb. And, and that's what they would, uh, that's what they, the crowned sacrifice, excuse me. And they would do that. And even today, they still don't understand why they would do that back then. But the Jewish people, they want their temple. They want it lined up so that it can be put back there so that we can, uh, they can go back and start to celebrate this Passover because they, they, they miss it. Well, all of that to say, beloved, is we're not trying to be Jewish. We're not. We're not going to try to teach you to be a Jewish person. You have to follow all these ceremonial laws in order for you to be saved. It's more of a, it was more of a threat when we did it first and foremost. I don't know if you remember, Terry, but we were, uh, you guys that are here, we were talking on worship for five weeks. And I says, okay, for five weeks, because worship is more than music. Okay. Music is part of worship, but worship is not about music. It's not all music. And so for the next five weeks, we're not going to have any worship. No music, I said. And what? Everybody, you, you got to have, you can't stop the music. And I go, okay, don't stop the music. I, I heard that song before. What we'll do, and that's how we came up with this 13 years ago. And ever since then, except for last year, we've had it together. Now, we're going to try to be socially distanced. We're going to try to keep everything as clean in, in, as possible, which, which we always had. Uh, if you want to be by yourselves, uh, just let me know. We can set it up. However, I do, want you, I do need for you to let us know ahead of time. But, but I'm saying all this not because we need to become Jewish, or, but I, I think it's important for us to understand it. See, a believer cannot stay more saved by works or by doing the Seder. We, we cannot have more, more works that are going to put us in a better place or position. You are in the best position that you are right now when you are justified. You're justified by faith. We may not have a whole lot of time to get into the, what Moses, what happened to Moses, and how justification is, is explained here by Paul. But pretty much justification is this. And you've probably heard it before in uh, the Sunday school. Where it says something to the effect of justified is just if I'd never sinned. But it's a lot deeper than that. See, to be a justified person, to have a justified life, what God does is he imputes. He gives. He, he takes away from one and adds to the other. He imputes. Jesus Christ's righteousness, his righteousness, his holiness, he imputes it on you. And then what you have, the sin that you have, he imputed it on Christ. It's a twice imputation. 
And the word to impute is, is, is spelled out throughout Scripture. And how Abraham was imputed this faith because of his, excuse me, imputed this righteousness because of his faith. He didn't believe in Jesus Christ, well, but he didn't see Jesus Christ. But we'll see here, maybe next week, how, on how he looked forward to this crucifixion. How he looked forward. All the prophets, this is what Jesus Christ went back and did. Here, let me show you what Moses talked about. Let me show you what the prophets talked about. Let me show you what the writings talk about on this imputation that took place many years ago, not by works. Abraham didn't get cir circumcised until maybe 10, 15 years later. It was at the age of 75 that God says, you're going to be a blessing to many nations. And it was counted to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. God imputed the righteousness, the justification of Jesus Christ upon Abraham because of his faith, because of his obedience. It's always been by faith, not by works, not by the law. Yet somehow, as I said earlier, the moment that God gives it to us by grace, Satan is right there, right alongside to take it away. Now, you got to work for it. you got to work for it. You're not good enough. And he keeps us busy working and applying and trying. All we have to do is believe it by faith. Paul proclaimed that justification is only in faith in Jesus Christ. And it's only through him. It's only through him. In Acts chapter 13, he says, and I don't think this is in your outlines, and he says, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 13, verse 39. You were justified from all these things by the things that Moses couldn't justify you by, but you were justified. And this is what Jesus Christ did. Oh, you mean I'm, I'm barely at point number two? Okay. <laughs> number two, not only do I need to examine my experience with Jesus Christ, the experience that you had, it was emotional, I'm sure, but you can't base your salvation and your justification upon your emotions of that which you had with Jesus Christ. He gave you a, a, a feeling of freedom, of, of, of this liberty, of, of this joy. But also, I also have to uh, examine my experiences with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's like, you know, I know that you've been redeemed, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, I know that you really believe it, but you need something else. I do? I need something else. Yes, you need to have... Add your A, B, C, or Ds of what you've heard. And, and he's appealing to them. L let me ask you just this one. He got right to the point. Let me just ask you this one thing. And of course, he's not really asking the question as to get a right or wrong answer. He's, the answer is obvious in their face. No, you didn't. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you do that? Well, obviously, the question is, well, it was by faith. You know, because we were Gentiles at first. And we don't know much about the law. And we don't know much about what these guys are saying, but if these guys, what they're saying is true, then I, I think that, we, you know, these guys are, these guys are you guys. They're, they come from the same place you did. And they read the same law and the Torah and everything else, and they're telling us that we have to be like them. So that makes sense. And Paul says, no, it doesn't. You're freed from that. Let me show you something. He takes them back. He takes them back to Genesis chapter 12, 13 and 14, on how it was given to, to Abraham by faith. 
And then some 15 years later, uh, he says, okay, now I want you to circumcise your whole household. But he was granted it. And, and the book of Hebrews tells us that, that faith is, is the things that we hope for. That, that faith, and, and he gives us this whole list of people in the Old Testament that walked by faith and were saved by faith. In, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit certainly does. The Holy Spirit in the believer's life is unmistakable. It's the unmistakable evidence. And the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, uh, you know, I, some people say it causes you to speak in tongues. Some people say, but what does the Word say? Well, the Word says that they repent. They change. They're born again. The old is gone. The new has come. Those who are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is placed within their life. You receive it at the moment of salvation. You receive it at the moment of regeneration. You receive, and that's what regeneration means, to be born again. Not to be born again to what you were like before, but to be born again brand new, just like a baby. And it's the Spirit Himself that does that. He intercedes, and, he, and He's the authenticator. And He's the authenticator in your life, in my life. And you see the changes in people's lives. In, in uh, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And that Spirit of Christ is the one indicator, the one thing that is keeping you and focusing you on what God has called you to do, on His command. And it's not the things that we do that please God. It's a broken and contrite heart. We all come to a point in our life where we recognize what Jesus Christ did for us. And that brokenness, and that contrite heart, that, that attitude of repentance, of, of confession, my God, I, I, you know, and this is, this was one of, the thing, one of the things that, if you don't know anything about Martin Luther, this is one of the things that Martin Luther was so occupied and concerned about, is this, is, you know, he, he was a lawyer. He was a fantastic lawyer prior to becoming a monk. And he, his whole life was to, to dedicate it at the law. And he knew the law frontwards and backwards. I'm talking about the political law or the, the, juris, uh, the juris law, jurisdiction law. And he knew everything about the law. And, and he understood it. And everybody was amazed and how he understood. And he grasped it. He had a, must have had a photo, photographic memory. Knew all the laws. And, and he was good. When he came in contact with God's law, he says, there's no way. There's no way. I can't do this. I, I, we're not doing this. And so every day, he would go to confession, and he would confess, and he would confess, and he would confess. And he would spend maybe half an hour, two hours, four hours, he would spend hours at the confessional. And finally, the, the priest would say, hey, enough. All you're trying to do is get away from your duties, aren't you? He said, no, 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 really, I need to confess this. They go, okay, come on. God is not going to hold you accountable. But I did it. It's wrong. All right, all right. And he'd leave, and he'd come right back. Oh, I forgot. And he was so consumed by his guilt and his shame. And he kept thinking, Man, there's, there's just no way. I, I cannot keep up with this. Until he read the book of Galatians. He read this and he goes, we're justified by faith. I'm saved. I, I'm, I'm made right. I'm justified, never sinned. And, and it doesn't mean that I can continue on sinning, which we all do. But we're not going back to where we were. A justified life is a growing life, is a life that grows in connection with God more and more each day. 
I've met people that would tell me, and I've said this many times before, you know, I've been going, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I'm sorry, beloved, but I don't think you're a 10-year-old Christian. You're probably a one-year-old Christian 10 times, a one-year-old Christian 15 times. But the, the worry, the stress, the anger, the, all the anxiety, everything that Christ should have took out and replaced it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit isn't there. Let's help you grow. I'm not doubting their conversion. I'm not saying that they're not saved. That you, I'm just saying there's got to be growth. There needs to be that the development within your heart, within your life, within your actions and emotions. I know you don't feel like it, beloved, but you need to grow. And we go through Bible studies, memorization, and, and people grow. And so it's crazy to think that since I got it for free, this regeneration, it's crazy to think that another gift or something else is going to give me more salvation or add more to my experience. A person who does not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and this is what happens sometimes. You don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet. You got to get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to just mention to you that if a person that does not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit does not need a second blessing. What they need is to be saved. Because the moment you're saved, regeneration takes place, and you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that some people that claim to be saved, they don't act like they're saved? How is it that I can continue on, or people can continue on in their life, claiming to be Christians and yet live like the world? You know, that's one of the biggest determinants of, of most people in Christianity. So, you know, I, I know a lot of you guys, man. I, I, yeah, you guys have... I know, I know, I know. That's all right. I don't, I don't need that. I'll just rather do my own thing. See, me and God, we got this understanding. But how is it that that happens? You know, it's those are the people that Jesus called tares within the church. There's wheat and there's tares. Those are the people that he says that, well, you know, the, the word falls on, on hard soil. It bounces right off. But some of that seed falls on rocky soil. There might have been regeneration, but, you know, it just seems to be, the, it just seems to be dying. Or it's being choked out. And so as a mature believer, and as you're learning this, and as you're understanding, I pray that justification is by faith, and it's Jesus Christ that gives it to you, that you help others to understand that as well. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. The problem with that is that it's not going to be very popular, as I personally have found out. Well, who are you to judge? Are you feeling judged? Would tell them, are you being judged? I'm just sharing with you what the Word says. If A, then B. If you're a Christian, then this is what he looks like. Well, I'm trying to be a better me, a better myself. No, you're supposed to be like Jesus Christ. Christ-likeness is our goal. Godly is our goal. Holiness is our goal. See, because as Paul says, that, that he gives us everything that we need as a guarantee, as a pledge. He says the Spirit Himself is the one that does that for us. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He supplies us everything we need. Ephesians 1, in Him 
you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, who is the, 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 the supplier. He is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and the honor and glory. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. The Holy Spirit is our seal. And that guarantee, that deposit, which in, in Jewish circles uh, some, somewhat has a meaning, or the word that is used is, is, uh, has a meaning of, the, of an engagement ring for a, a bride. This is my guarantee that you are going to be my bride. And, and that's what Jesus Christ left us with, that seal, that guarantee of our inheritance that is to come. And it is to come soon. I think many people would agree with me that this is what's happening. We see a lot of it unfolding before our eyes. And so we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready for that. Paul said in Romans 8 verses 1 through 4, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. If you want to live by the law, you got to follow the whole law. you got to do it all according to the law. I know that I have uh, many friends that say, well, you have to worship on, on the Sabbath, and you cannot eat pork, and you, you have to celebrate these certain uh, ceremonial laws and, and whatnot. And, and I tell them, well, okay, that's, can you do that? Do you do that? I mean, not just one or two or three or four, or maybe even 10 or 20, but you have to satisfy every single law if that's how you're going to live. Uh, that's impossible, exactly. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and that's what Paul said. On the rest of Romans 8, 1 through 4. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul is walking us through, walking the Galatians through. Look, don't, don't let these guys that are coming in try to tell you how to experience your salvation, how your salvation should be, what it needs to be. Because ultimately, as we'll talk about next week, we need to experience, we need to examine our experience with God. And when we ex examine our experience with God, Paul says this in verses 5 and 6, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, speaking of he which is God, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was his faith and his obedience that was counted to Abraham before anything else was written, before the nation was done, before the people were there, before Moses came on the scene and God gave him the commandments. Before Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was counted to him by faith. It's always been by faith from beginning to end. You see, today we look backwards 2,000 years to the cross. Back then they would look forward and it all meets at the cross and the cross is a very important symbol it's more than just an ornament it's more than just something i hang off my rearview mirror it's more than i what i have on my wall it's more than this that we have here within our sanctuary it's an important symbol it reminds us that we couldn't get to the place where we are in the presence of god if it wasn't for what jesus christ did on the cross so when we do communion when we do the Lord's table, we do so in that vein, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. 
and then looking forward to when we will be able to share that with you. Let me lead us in a word of prayer as we get ready and prepare our hearts for our time with, our, our time with communion and with each other. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you once again for the reminder over and over again. You had to remind your people. You would tell them, remember when you were slaves. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, remember, remember. And Jesus himself asked us, told us, commanded us to do this. Not when we feel like it, but to do this. Not if it's popular or not, but to do it in remembrance of him. And Lord, you commanded your disciples and has been handed down to us. We also want to do this in remembrance of you. So right now, Lord, I, I pray that we can come before the cross and broken as we are, recognizing our sinful confessing ourselves to you, repairing relationships, building on what you've already started, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And you, my Lord, is the cornerstone. I pray, Father, that we can be more like Jesus and that our search is not for happiness or emotional highs, but our search is for holiness, to be like Christ. And so that's the standard that we will use. I thank you for this time that you've given us, our friends and family. I pray that as we share this, that we do so in remembrance of you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.